welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series five and episode 12. This is the story, the parable of the fishing net. We're in Matthew chapter 13 and we're going to study verses 47 to 52. And if you've been with us within recent episodes, you'll be aware that we are now at the end of Matthew 13 as a chapter which focuses entirely on parables. Jesus uses the opportunity in this point in his ministry to bring some teaching about the growth of the kingdom. The context is his second journey or tour around Galilee, uh, where he's traveling from place to place. And this is the focus of series five. Before that, we had the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, was very important in the formation of the discipleship community with the 12 apostles having been just appointed. That was series four. And series three was his first tour of Galilee. Now he's explaining more and more about how the kingdom of God operates and functions. And the parables in this chapter tell us lots of different things about how we can expect the kingdom of God to grow. This was very important for the first generation of hearers, obviously, and is equally important for us 2000 years later, because the perspectives we have on these issues will shape the sort of churches we form and are part of and the mission that we have and our expectations of how to function as Christians in our worlds. And we're in all sorts of different contexts in the world because I know I'm addressing a worldwide audience here with this teaching. And we have many different cultural contexts in which we have to work out the principles of God's kingdom. We'll touch on that perhaps a little bit more later on. And I've mentioned the various different contexts quite frequently in these recent teachings because it's good to integrate them to our context. The earlier parables told us uh, lots of important truths about the kingdom. The parable of the sower told us about the power of the seed or the message and that we shouldn't be too worried if the message is not well received or fruitful in every single person because it will be in some people. The parable of the weeds told us how in the kingdom of God grows alongside the kingdom of darkness all the way through history. That's really important. We spoke about the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, where the tiny little element of a seed, a very small seed or a very small amount of yeast can have a huge impact. And in our last episode, we discussed the two very dramatic but very short parables that Jesus told about, first of all, the treasure in the field, and secondly, the astonishingly valuable pearl. The merchant discovered this amazing pearl and sold everything he had in order to buy it. A man discovered treasure in a field, the field that didn't belong to him. He sold everything he had in order to buy the field. And this really showed us a lot about the incredible value of the message of the kingdom. The gospel is so valuable because it brings such huge blessings to us, both in this life and in the life to come. But in order to access the gospel, very often we have to sacrifice other things very substantially, make some really big sacrifices to enter into the kingdom. And we discussed that theme very thoroughly last time, a very important theme that affects many of us 
very deeply. Now, in our final parable, the parable of the fishing net, we're focusing on the ultimate destiny of the kingdom of God, the final triumph of the kingdom of God. And there's some parallels between this parable and the parable of the weeds. And you can look back at that episode if you want to make the comparisons more fully. So we're going to just read the story and we're going to see what this parable is useful by Jesus in terms of teaching his disciples. He then concludes this section by asking his disciples a searching question about whether they've understood all the teaching he's brought, and we'll comment on that a little bit later on in the episode. But first of all, let's just look at this story uh, closely, and let's read together Matthew 13, verse 47 to 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, the context is really interesting because where is Jesus at this particular point? Well, we know exactly where he is. Matthew 13, verse 1 and 2 says the following. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. This, of course, is the Sea or Lake of Galilee, which we've mentioned numerous times because it features in the story of Jesus in all sorts of interesting ways. And just quickly to remind you of the fact that in Israel, the Sea of Galilee is very, very significant because it is fed from the north, from the mountains of Lebanon, and Syria, the water comes down principally through the River Jordan into this lake, a very large freshwater lake. And then the River Jordan exits at the southern end and heads towards what we know as the Dead Sea and then out to the main sea at the Gulf of Aqaba. But this lake is very large for a small country, many kilometres across and long and is naturally productive in terms of fishing. It's in a very good environment and fishing was a major trade uh, and a major source of food for the people. And here is Jesus sitting by the lake. In fact, he's got such a big crowd that he got into a boat and sat in it just a little bit away from the shore in order to teach them. And we've seen other instances in the Gospels where Jesus does something similar simply because of the crowd of people and it's a convenient way to teach. So he's actually sitting in a boat, probably a fishing boat, and he's telling a story about fishing that relates directly to the fishing activity that would take place right there in that lake, in that community, 
and in his hometown, Capernaum, which was a seaside, lakeside fishing village. So he's telling a story that's really meaningful to everyone who's listening, not least, by the way, some of his own disciples. If we go back a little bit earlier in the story, we'll notice that Peter and Andrew and James and John, two sets of brothers who are leading apostles, were fishermen and in some business partnership together. They both had boats that fished regularly on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus encountered them one day when they were just uh, finishing a day's work, having come back from an overnight fishing trip on the lake. This is recorded in the first part of Luke chapter 5. And if you remember the story, when Jesus encounters them, they're actually cleaning their nets. Having just gone through their fishing catch in exactly the same way as described in this parable. They'd had a bad session fishing, they hadn't caught very much. And Jesus used that as a basis for teaching them and then telling them that they were going to become fishers of men. They were going to give up their their fishing and they were going to evangelise and lead the mission of the church. So for Peter and Andrew and James and John, at least amongst the 12 apostles, we have people who understand fishing very well indeed. It's their life experience, it's their job. Now they've just given up that job. They've left their nets, so to speak, in order to travel with Jesus on his missionary tours. And he's now on his second missionary tour. And the reason I'm saying these things is just to illustrate again how vivid many of the parables and images and symbols and metaphors Jesus uses in his stories. They're not so vivid necessarily to us because obviously we have different human experiences, but they were vivid to the listeners. And in this particular case, not just the listeners generally, but the listeners in that part of the country, because the Sea of Galilee was part of the local economy and fishing was integrated with everything else. And everyone had to travel across the lake at some point by boat to get from one place to another because it was a main form of transport and much quicker than walking around the side of the lake. So all this was very meaningful to them. And the standard practice for them was at the end of a fishing trip, usually in the early morning because fishing at night was favoured for catching more fish. So in the early morning, the fishermen would come and would bring their nets ashore and sort the fish out on the lakeside. Could be done on the boats, easier to be done on the shore. And as they go through day by day, they do what all fishermen have to do, which is to sort out the catch. And there's always a problem. There's always things in the catch that are dead or deformed or diseased. There are the sorts of fish that aren't of any value or they're too small. And nowadays, of course, in the modern world, there's all sorts of other elements related to pollution like plastics and other things that get into the fishing cycle. But every fisherman in, in those days would always have to sort out the fish. And there was a decision that needed to be made. Do we keep this one to sell or do we throw it away or throw it back into the lake? Those decisions had to be made. And so it is in this context that this parable is vivid for the listeners. Now, the point about 
this particular net was that humans are likened to the fish. Good fish and bad fish come in the net. And we have to try and work out what is Jesus actually referring to. He might be referring here to the fact that Christians and non-Christians live in the world together, which is more the point that was made in the parable of the weeds a little bit earlier on in this chapter. But it's possible, and I think probably more likely, that Jesus might even be referring here to the church community that was going to be formed shortly afterwards and was in embryo at the moment as the discipleship community was developing with the 12 apostles and the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and so forth. And so it might be that we can draw from this parable the inference or the expectation that in the church we're going to have true believers and nominal believers Believers who are only there in name or even false believers who are there under false pretenses. There's a tension there. And this is a tension that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples about. It isn't going to be cut and dried and simple and straightforward in the church community and in its mission. Because there are good fish and there are bad fish, and Jesus' point is they will continue. There's nothing you can actually do to change that situation. You can't take the law into your own hands. What he's pointing out here is the significance of what we call the day of judgment. And this has already been referred to in other parables. He describes it in verse 49 as the end of the age the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace that where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth the end of the age is a very important theme we saw the same thing happening with the parable of the weeds and the notion of the harvest that the harvesters sort out the wheat from the weeds and they divide the two one is productive and is used the other is unproductive is an intrusion and is burnt up so we have a, a very similar point being made here so the end of the age is a major theme of Jesus in this particular case and this brings us back to an underlying significance of these teachings in Matthew 13 and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but let's just remind ourselves of this point because it's very relevant here. The Jews' expectation is the coming of the kingdom will bring the Messiah, will bring a decisive change in human life, God's reign on earth, peace, justice, salvation for the Jews and for Gentile people who choose to believe as well. When Jesus brought the kingdom, he only brought the kingdom in its first phase in his ministry. And he's coming twice to the earth. He's come once to bring salvation. He'll come twice to bring redemption and judgment and to finalise everything and to vindicate his people. Now, I've mentioned this 
on a number of occasions. But we keep having to come back to this point because the Jewish mindset wouldn't have understand the two comings of the Messiah. It was problematical for them because they hadn't discriminated different themes of the prophetic scriptures and realized they referred to different events. For example, in Isaiah 53, there's very clear teaching about the suffering servant who is a messianic figure who will come and suffer and die and be raised again from the dead. You can see that teaching very explicitly in Isaiah 53. How do you fit that into a triumphal coming in glory and power? It's a different event. And so if we gather all the prophetic scriptures together and look at their significance, the church is able through the ministry of Jesus to understand that there are two comings of Jesus. The first coming for salvation, the second coming for judgment and final redemption. And this is what Jesus means by the end of the age. And the angels are mentioned here as the authorised instruments of God to carry out his will. They're his messengers and they're his instruments. They have power to carry out his judgment. So I want to just pause here for a moment and actually just integrate this particular parable with the wider teaching of the New Testament about the final judgment. And I thought I would do that by just referring to the ultimate expression of it in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to read from the reference to the final judgment in the book of Revelation which is Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to verse 15. Let's read that together. This is John prophetically seeing what's going to happen at the very end of the age after Jesus has returned. Then I saw a great right throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, this is a powerful concluding scripture that summarizes the themes that you see in the Gospels and also in the letters or epistles where the second coming is mentioned. There's a moment of decisive judgment at which Christ is the judge. And his book of life, those who believed, are written in his book of life. And that frees them from the judgment that is to come. Well, these are sobering realities that we're talking about. And Jesus makes reference to this unambiguously when he describes the end of the age, the angels, and the separation of the good fish and the bad fish, a bit like the separation of the wheat and the weeds described in the parable of the weeds just very shortly before this in Matthew 13. It's important to interpret parables with a full understanding of the eschatological significance, the end of time significance, the end of the age significance. The kingdom of God is not just about the here and now, not just about your life and mine and how God may lead us and bless us. No, it's about the whole of history. What we do now influences what's going to happen in the future and what's going to happen to us in the future. And so we need to integrate our understanding of the present and the future. 
and we need to have confidence in God's future. The day of judgment will divide humanity, will take away the bad fish from the good fish. Now, coming back to Matthew 13, just to read the final two verses of our passage, Matthew 13, 51 and 52. Jesus said, have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, each teacher of the law who's become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house that brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. He's talking here really about the disciples themselves and their successors, Christian teachers that follow. And he's basically saying, if you understand the kingdom that he's talking about and the truths that you're talking about, you're like a teacher of the Jewish law, who's also a disciple. You'll have treasures old and new. The likely reference to this treasure house is spiritual truths from the Old Testament and spiritual truths from Christ the gospel and ultimately the New Testament that is to follow shortly afterwards after Jesus spoke these words. So a disciple, particularly the 12 disciples who are the 12 apostles, who are the primary target of this teaching, are the ones who will be able to interpret the Old Testament effectively and accurately and also interpret the truths of the New Testament in the kingdom of God, such as the truths that are being described here, which are absolutely foundational. Church teaching needs to combine always an accurate and effective understanding of the Old Testament with an accurate and effective understanding of the New Testament. This, in my opinion, is rarely achieved in church teaching. And so it's a goal for all of us, especially those called to teaching. And the disciples now were in a position where, having understood much of the Old Testament, which they'd grown up with, they were now beginning to understand the new covenant, the gospel, the kingdom message that was coming through Jesus. And they were going to be able to bring old treasures and new treasures together to teach others. And that teaching task continues to this day. That's why we're here studying. And that's why as we're looking into the life of Jesus, wherever there's an Old Testament reference or an Old Testament prophecy or a connection to an Old Testament event or character or fulfillment of a covenant promise, I try and bring those truths very firmly into the narrative and into the explanation to us. Because we can easily try and grasp the New Testament without understanding the Old and then we can misunderstand things. We get a richer understanding if we put everything together. And that's really what Jesus is saying here. So now some concluding reflections. We've come to the end of this block of teaching, this discourse of seven parables that Jesus spoke on the same occasion by the lakeside in Galilee, as we've just described under the theme of the growth of the kingdom of God. He's here trying to explain to his disciples and to others exactly what their expectations should be concerning the growth of the kingdom. We've gained many insights. 
just to summarize some of the key ones in conclusion now. We've understood from the parable of the sower the need not to be worried about unproductive seed, but to focus on the power of the seed of the message in the heart and mind of the receptive person. In the parable of the weeds, we've seen that the two kingdoms are going to grow together until judgment, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of darkness. We've seen in the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, the power of the very small ingredient of the gospel to bring about enormous growth over time. We've seen with the parable of the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure, the value of the kingdom and the kingdom message and the need to give up everything in order to attain it. And here in the parable of the fishing net, we've seen that the church will always have within itself and around itself a mixed congregation, a mixed group of people, those who truly believe, those who are more nominal or even false believers, and that this will be sorted out at the day of judgment. So this leads us to conclude that a good perspective on the second coming of Jesus and the day of judgment is essential for a healthy Christian life. And I'm going to conclude by reading Paul teaching on this same theme. Uh, later on, when Paul is in his ministry, his apostolic ministry, planting churches, he writes to the Thessalonians some interesting instructions because they were confused about the second coming. They were confused about what to believe and how to approach life, knowing that the second coming was on its way, but not knowing when. And the second coming is the exact same event that is in mind in this parable when it speaks of the end of the age. So let's listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 through to verse 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. What a wonderful conclusion. The second coming is the perspective we need in order to understand the growth of the kingdom as described by Jesus in the parables of Matthew 13. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.